too much. <laughs> not too much at all. But before we get into your stuff, we'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. I'll take the time to thank Sabretooth. If you go to sabretooth.com and use code WH, you can save 10% on all your carving burrs and discs um, and get creative with your projects. I use them. You should too. And I'll take a moment to thank our sponsor, Maritime Nice Supply, your one-stop shop for makers, your source for abrasives, steel, handle materials, tools, and more. And uh, you can save on shipping by getting everything from one supplier at maritimenicesupply.com and .ca. Also a sponsor of the Great Lakes Knife Show. Yes. That will be August 19th. August 19th. I think we're our timing's a little off for that one. <laughs> no. No, it's it's right on par. <laughs> what is going on, Jason? <laughs> uh, you know, busy. Um, keeping busy. Uh, the day job keeps me busy. And then I got my shop time uh, to keep me sane. So... What is your day job? Uh, day job is, I guess you'd call me a product designer. Um, so long story short is that I design um, mostly web applications um, these days. So um, into the user experience design, do a lot of the user uh, research and testing uh, and kind of work together with a, a product delivery team to deliver uh, whatever product that the business kind of wants. So a little a little nerdy and boring, but uh, it pays the bills. And actually, it's pretty exciting from time to time. Um, and I think that's exactly why uh, the blacksmithing is the hobby, because being on a computer, taking meetings all day, um, that kind of work, really, I need to have the exact opposite of, of what that is. And the exact opposite seems to be banging on hot metal. <laughs> you don't got to tell me. Yet. Yeah, makes I'm, sense. I'm with you there. My job's a little more physical day to day, but I still need that. I have so much time off. I still need something to go out and do. Yeah. I'm lucky enough that the day job allows me to kind of stretch my creativity or creative muscles as well. So um, lucky enough to even kind of throughout the years being in the corporate job, uh, the corporate world, like pretty much being a, a creative professional. So, um, you know, there have been stretches of time where, I kind of wished I was laid off, um, but uh, I think it's been quite fun uh, over the last uh, even five years, upwards of five or six years. Um, the day jobs kind of kept me uh, busy, and, and there's a lot of growth kind of going in that direction. But uh, at the same time, I think uh, I've seen a lot of strides in the hobby as well. So maybe there's a future where uh, I kind of tone down the day job and ramp up the blacksmithing. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say you've, you've definitely got some skills when it comes to the to the smithing side of things. Thanks, man. That's why you get to do all the fun projects at the uh, the group forge. <laughs> yeah, setting off to the task, right? Yeah, we talked about it though. There have been times when I'm off doing doing the thing, and then it, it doesn't make the final piece, right? It's not that's yeah. not necessarily going to mean that it gets in there, but uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 a that it's always a fun project. I'm and very happy to be part of it no matter what what i'm doing on it so i know that's it's really one of my number one kind of events at this point too it's like uh i don't uh i don't uh, have anything else kind of conflicting with that uh that time of year so i want to make sure i can always make it yeah i would say for me if it came down to it and i had to pick 
like a camp versus the Forge project, I would do the Forge project first. You're talking not talking about Maker Camp. You're talking about a camp event. <laughs> yeah. Maker Camp versus the Forge project. Go pick one. Yeah, that's <laughs> I would. Yeah, I mean, if I had to, if for some reason I wasn't able to do both, then yeah, I would probably. And it's much easier to get to because it's that time of year. It's you know, you just kind of <clears throat> vacations are easy to get. For me, with my job, we tend to do like our shutdown work where we shut down plants and do a lot of heavy maintenance. And that's when things get busy for me. So sometimes that could bump into, you know, camp time. So you would pick the group forge over camp? Yeah, I would. All right. All right. Throwing it down. (laughs) It's something to be said about it. It's sort of like... uh... Maybe at camp you don't get to work as hard. Uh, maybe that's what you're looking for. You want to work harder. Yeah, I'm hoping this year, I think we've talked to a few people. I think we're going to do a little bit more work at this camp, but we'll see. It'll be fun. It's always fun. Maker camp's always fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. I just, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the what we did at the last group forge. So I, I want to kind of keep that rolling. Yeah, that was a blast. I had a blast. I think there are two, and... I know we're the Maker Camp podcast or whatever, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think they're two totally different events. Like, I wouldn't even, I mean, they happen at the same location, but they're hard to compare to each other. Oh, completely. Like one is a whole, like, one is like, uh, you know, go hang out with your friends and try some new stuff out. And the other one is a group of people working towards a common goal. So it's completely different, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. And I mean, as a, as a smith or, hobbyist smith it's kind of a for that's why it that's why it kind of ranks up there so high for me because it's just it's really a big challenge it's a good big and good challenge to to go and do that forge event yeah and the the camaraderie and the bonding that you get when you work really hard with a lot of people like that it's there's nothing like it kind of you kind of form these these bonds that can last uh, quite a while i don't know some nothing like a bunch of people working hard yeah, waking up early on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extra early, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody was up at that point. <laughs> you woke them all up with the sledgehammer, though. That'll happen. That's probably why they uh, they uh, they have that early in the season, right? It's kind of off season, even, right? So it's not even that we're making uh, a bunch of loud noise or ruckus for uh, for all the folks. Yeah, but you really don't hear anything coming out of that pavilion to where you're staying. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you were a tent camper, but tent camping doesn't happen at that time of year, right? Right. If you were a tent camper on the other side of the field, that would suck. But other than that, everyone's either way up on the hill or behind you. And with that building, I think it kind of... Yeah. I didn't hear you guys, and we were right off the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why at Maker Camp, they're going to be turning it off probably like respectably uh, at a respectable hour. Is that right? So that the tent campers can uh, can maybe I sleep. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah. I th- well, usually 10 o'clock, they start trying to slow people down. But there's yeah. they at least shut down the coal forges most of the time. And then a few, you'll see some of the propane guys will be still picking away at stuff. Mm. Yeah. But the coal forges, is, I mean, they need to be manned by who's ever running that whole situation. Yeah, they they, they're coal, and that's the big drawer all, all day, you know. Yeah, they you need you need some experience with that stuff. Like I 
still haven't got a clue how to run a coal force. <laughs> I've tried my best, but it doesn't go well. This could be sort of breaking news. I think uh, I'm pretty pretty certain, 100% certain at this point, that I'll be working that green, green coal tent uh, area this year at the Maker Camp instead oh, of just yeah. partying. <laughs> really? Because you, you helped the first year, right? You were there at 19, I remember. Just poking around, yeah, helping out a little bit because Bob Menard, who um, who brings that entire setup from, from the New England blacksmiths, um, yeah. Like I know him pretty well. So, um, yeah, I think the first year was just pretty brand new. There weren't like too many, um, too many folks helping out, I guess. So yeah, really just kind of lending a hand over the last couple of years. But this year I finally kind of just decided to get in there a little more formally. So be working official. Yeah. More, more working weekend than, uh, than partying. But I think that's part of the idea is that they'll have a little more of a rotation and structure so that, you know, folks can take breaks uh, and, you know, maybe go and try some other things. It would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because by Sunday, Brent, he always looks like he's spent. I know, all of them do. They yeah. all look spent. It's crazy. Bob Menard's normally, he puts a smile on by Sunday because he knows it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stays grumpy right up until Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday night when he cracks the beer open, then he's... Then yeah, he's it's good. when he cracks the beer. He's making fun <laughs> of you instead of trying to help you. Bob's the man. He's a good guy. So what else is going on? What's uh, the project yeah. of the day? So wrapping up, um, I'm rounding third base on a machete, actually. I think I posted a couple of things about that, maybe just some stories. Um, but I don't... I try not to take, like, too many commissions. Um, I really just randomly will take commissions at this point. I think there's too much. Um, I, I don't like to. Yeah, the, the I don't like the pressure of the time and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the day job is really the priority at, for you know for a lot of reasons. But uh, I think the other part of it is I want to make sure I keep it fun, the hobby. So, um, but when somebody asked me to make a machete and it's been kind of on my radar or like on my list to make one, it's also kind of the next step, uh, size up rather from some knives that I've made before or blades that I've uh, forged. So it's a good test maybe in the right direction to go towards lengthier, uh, items. Maybe a sword is in the future or something like that. So yeah, machete is, uh, something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And that's kind of because it's a little core to me. Um, I have like a really crazy core memory of my grandfather uh, digging up like a broken spade shovel and like what seemed to me five minutes later coming out of the garage, back out of the garage, he had split it in two and sharpened like one of the edges and he handed it to my grandmother and she had this like just little mini sort of machete uh, that she was using for the garden. You know, I think he even kind of watched her, you know, uh, out there kind of weeding the garden and stuff sparked this idea for him. So I don't know. It's just some, some kind of core memory for me. Um, and he had machetes as well. Um, kind of classic Latin style. So I've had it like on my radar just to make one kind of in honor of my grandfather in a lot of ways. Um, so this is probably what I'm chasing, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Not, not particularly this one, but, uh, as I'm working towards building these machetes, I'm thinking about that. And, and, uh, uh, this one is like classic Latin design. Um, and it's going to be used in Florida. So, uh, I didn't go with the stainless steel. Um, but, 
uh, I'm going with some pretty like inert handle material. So like G10, um, make sure that handle doesn't, uh, you know, get affected by the humid weather. It's gotcha. uh, supposedly going towards harvesting bananas. So it's a good, interesting. Uh, cool, cool little fun project. Yeah. So I see you've, you're doing an integral guard on that. Yep. Yeah. That was the one I, I guess the one that I had banged out up at the hammering at uh, maker camp. Um, I was like, I, pra- I guess I practiced up there, but yeah, I, I, I forged in an integral uh, guard on it uh, right at the front of the handle there. Um, but the one I forged up at maker camp ended up with like a clip point and I just wasn't really happy with the profile overall. So I kind of re uh, forged it same kind of handle style, but the front end is a little more classic Latin just has a straight back and then has the bottom kind of belly edge. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I was just, I, when you mentioned machete and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I saw it, but I was, I had the check and I was, I was right that it was your, uh, the one you worked on the, the integral guard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a good amount. You know, it's, uh, funny is that I, I guess I decided to reforge it and coincided with the start of uh, a lot of the summer temperatures coming up. Uh, so we got like a heat wave and that's been like the battle. It's like, you know, getting in the, the shop and lighting up a propane forge is just like not appealing. Right. Um, and I want to say that out of all the forging on that piece so far, or actually it's done uh, maybe 90% of it was forged with the, uh, uh, induction forge so you know i got my doors shut on the shop i got a little window air conditioner you know running <laughs> and i got the induction forge not heating up the shop at all i can like forge all day and really you know it's kind of like defeating those uh those dog days of summer i love it i like the i i've never used one i like the idea of the induction forge just because when you're done, you turn it down. That's it. You don't have to worry about anything cooling down, like none of that. And if you only want to heat up a small portion of your project, you can. Where yeah. in propane, it's going to heat up at a bare minimum the size of the propane forge. You know. Yeah, completely. Not to mention, you know, I work from home, so you know I can get up before work begins. You know, the nine to five and even if I had only a half hour, I mean, it's amazing. You can just kind of get right to work because the heat's there immediately. You don't have to kind of wait for that forge to heat up at all. So, you know, all right, you know, I can go out and get two or three operations done. And then, you know, like you said, you're not really worried about a forge cooling off or anything. You can get right back in the house, get on the computer, get to work. <laughs> so something like that runs like, it'd be similar to running a, a like a small welder or something. Like it's not like, it's not like cranking the power, but it's does use a fair bit, I would assume. It does, yeah. I guess I haven't really uh, considered the costs, so to speak. Maybe if you're running a business, you would be able to kind of figure all that stuff out. But yeah, it's it's wired for two twenty. I don't okay. think I don't think there are one twenty machines that that are worth anything really. Um, yeah, I would assume but, that two twenty be the only thing that would be really worth using. But yeah, do they make a one ten? I feel like someone's got to, I, I feel like I've seen it and I feel like, like they must be working on it. I mean, this is welders, right? Yeah. I mean, the welder I have got both options, but I'm 
told if you run 220 it's it's quite a bit different machine like it works a lot better so yeah they do have 110 induction forges <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do like the idea that like you're saying about being able to go out and do you know a couple operations and not have that like i mean when i heat up my forge at best it's like 10 minutes and i've got somewhat of a heat i can move a little bit but i'm not moving stuff really well and then you know into that 20 to 30 before like i'm really cooking mm. becomes a commitment when you have to light the forge wait for it to heat up yeah then forge and then like there's no just oh let me go out and do two operations yeah the the cool down for me is not too bad because i've got things spaced out pretty good and then i have a uh, a ribbon burner with a blower on it so I'll let that run for five or ten, but that's time as well that that takes away. <laughs> but usually, let that run for five or ten to just kind of get get some heat out of it. But two inches of yeah. refractory takes a while to cool. Sure does. That thing just radiates heat into your shop too, which is a hundred percent welcome in the winter time, but not not this time of year. <laughs> yeah, a t-shirt minus thirty is kind of fun. <laughs> well, even as a woodworker, I go out there in this heat and I'm sweating. Yeah, and I'm kicking up dust, and then the dust just like cakes onto your skin. Ugh. It's gross. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, you know, doing the axes or hatchets, rather, you know, dealing with the wood, uh, it gets everywhere, and it's like even at the grinder in general. I mean, it's it's kind of one of the nastiest businesses, and to have to have gear while you're sweating, I mean, it's, it's pretty terrible. I hate being at the grinder. I think it's a perfect, it's perfectly named because it's a complete grind no matter what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you, don't, you generally don't have a big smile on your face when you're at the at the grinder. What no. kind of grinder you have? I've got a an Amer, uh, braid two by seventy two. Yeah, yeah, I bought it pretty early on. Now I want to say, um, so I moved in what twenty nineteen. I've had it at least maybe since twenty eighteen something like that cool yeah yeah i went right to the two horsepower um prior to that i had been using like a one by 30 like like most of the stories you hear and uh you get by but uh what a difference that made it was was a huge kind of level up for for anything really i mean no matter what medium you're using and what whatever you're building like that machine you can you can use it put it to use yeah i did I went with the one by 30 route for a short time and it wasn't long before I was like, all right, we got to step this up because I could see the usefulness of the grinder, but then I could see like, I could basically stop it with my thumb. Yep. Like it was just that weak. So yeah. Now if I put my thumb into this one, it's the, I won't have a thumb. (laughs) So it's the, uh, yeah. Finger, fingerprint free. I think Amerabred has a, a little, little tagline fingerprint free <laughs> oh yes yeah i'm sure it would take some fingerprints off i almost lost mine at camp last year on the grinder yeah but that was on the side i hit the side of the paper oh yeah like any you know idiot. quick scrubbed a couple of knuckles off a couple of times for sure <laughs> yeah i love the two by 72 i think it's um i think it was dean that said it's a complete luxury in the shop like maybe not for a blacksmith but for Get guys like Dean and I. It's a complete luxury, but it's a luxury that I I won't go without now, at all. As a woodworker, you think like it's yeah. a 
Yeah, I guess, right? I mean, a typical woodworker wouldn't have a 2x72, maybe. What do you need it for? Yeah. You what know, other... I still have my rigid, you know, spindle sander uh-huh. machine. Sort of like a disc sander, I'm I, assuming. I got rid of the disc sander. I, I never used it. So It's such the, a pain to change the sandpaper uh, on those things. Yeah. There's a trick to it. And I've seen people do the trick, and I'm like, that never worked for me. <laughs> yeah. Two by 72, you just yeah. done. Change the belt. Good to go. <laughs> yeah. But I find so many uses for it. So many uses. Yeah. It's unreal. It's kind of one of those tools where, like, you almost have to have it for a little while to start to think about uh, using it, right? Like, I don't know. There have been probably a bunch of times where it not it doesn't even occur to me to use it in my in my toolkit to some degree, right? But then as time went by, it's sort of like the first thought, right? As opposed to like, oh, yeah, I should use my 2x72. It's like, no, no, we're going to set the thing up with this angle, and boom, it's going to be so easy to get that angle on it, and we'll be good to go two seconds, you know? I, I feel like it's the metal worker's equivalent of a table saw. How you yeah. can do... 90% of the operations on a table saw. You can do 90% of your metal grinding on a 2x72. I would agree, yeah. I think the the other key item there is like one of those uh, band saws to cut your stock. Um, you know, like a one of those where you can kind of set it and forget it and walk away. Yeah, um, but that's kind of a one-trick pony though, right? Sort of, but I mean, you're cutting stock all the time. So, I mean, I guess they are two different items, right? One is more more of a grinding machine but when i think of like you're talking about cutting like a table saw i guess i kind of think of that a little more i just mean you can use a table saw to do all sorts of joinery rip cuts cross cuts cove cuts you know whatever you want like there's everyone does jigs for it like it it can replace a bunch of tools in their shop gotcha right yeah like you do you need a bandsaw if you have a proper table saw? Maybe, maybe not. You know, mm. I mean, obviously, you're still going to need a drill press for a round hole. There's other tools you still need, <laughs> of course. But I just feel like it's so versatile that in the metalworking world, maybe it's the two by seventy-two that's the versatile tool. Tony's yeah. going to argue and say no, just a hammer. Well, <laughs> no, I I agree with the two by seventy-two because I mean, for Smith, it's. Like for me, it it just brought like a level of of precision that I didn't have before, because you could do work with less effort, so it made it so you could do things. I find when the the effort goes down, um, it just makes things easier. Like you're not like pushing so hard to get to get to the point that you need to get to that you're able to really finesse what you need to do. So that's that's what I found like being able to draw. A line on something and then just work your way just into it like um, I'll make those um, burger presses and I'll start with a six by six square I mar- mark the center then mark it for like not six inches but just a little bit under so I can get a round piece and then that thing I'll take well I will take a, um, a cutoff wheel and cut the corners off just so I'm not grinding all that material mm-hmm. but bring it down to like three eighths of an inch off that mark. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I've got the piece that I want at, you know, and then getting it to size, then getting it through grits that I want so that the edge is nice and clean and crisp. So nice. yeah, it, it, for me, that was the biggest thing I've, I found with, was just 
weird to say with the grinder because I'm so used to using like the old rat tail grinders, like a five inch or four and a half inch grinder that they're, you can get precise with them, but it takes some work. Like you have to have some hours behind one of those to, to get precise. And then this thing was like minutes and you just hit. I still feel like you have better control with the two by 72 or a rat tail grinder. Yes. No, no. I, I, I think you do. I'm just like, it rat takes, tail? it takes time. Just a regular handheld. Like an angle grinder? Like a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I call it a rat tail because the one I have has a the pistol grip and then the 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 uh, cord the cord goes out the back like a rat tail. It's an old thing I got from an old timer, and I just for some reason it stuck with me. But yeah, it's just got a, a Canadian just, thing. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've heard it from someone else before. But I, yeah, just a basic angle grinder, the four and a half to five inch ones. Yeah, not to mention those things want to kill you every at every other second i mean and the four and a half inch ones i don't know i've never really used much bigger to be honest with you uh but i would assume the bigger they get the more the scarier they are <laughs> yeah i've i've used a seven and uh-huh. the seven is yeah it's it's scary because it's it's a big motor like it's the motor's like uh, i don't know it's probably the body of the one I remember using was probably three to four inches across. And then the, then the body was probably eight to 10 inches long. Mm. Plus the handle, plus the handle out the back and then the, the handle off the side of it. So, but yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff done with that one. One guy decided that the spot I was working to put a 16 inch abrasive cutoff on it so he could reach in and, and cut a piece. And he, uh, touched the piece he was trying to cut, and the blade instantly disintegrated. Sixteen-inch abrasive just just vaporized. So, I yeah. hate cut-off wheels. I do too. Well, that's, <laughs> at, so at that I point, I find everything in my shop to cut that before I grab a cut-off wheel. Same. I had a chop saw for a while, like a heavy-duty chop saw, and I smoked it like trying to cut through some forty-one forty uh, sucker rod at one point. Uh, it was like the cheapo kind of Harbor Freight one, but yeah. that thing is scary. I mean, I'm sure that maybe the pro versions are tighter and whatnot, but like, in fact, I saw a video the other day of someone with the chop saw in the up position and the abrasive, you know, disc running, and they're just hand carving metal, like with the edge of it, you know, pulling up their pieces and cutting the corners off and whatever else, and then grinding it around. It's like, oh my gosh. What a scary yeah, thing. I, I have seen that in like professional shops, like in the shops I used to work in, where you'd cut angle iron, you'd have that little slag off the side. Uh-huh. And they and it was the older guys that would do it, and then they would berate you for not doing it yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm not. This is this is like 14, 16 inch cutoff wheel that's I don't know, three thirty seconds. Like it's not not super thick, but it's thick enough it's got some mass to it and i'm like no no i'm gonna grab the grinder here and do and finish that up with a you know a sensible you know wheel on it like oh man i just and and you're i i've never i don't think i've ever seen one that cuts really square like you were saying about the tighter ones it's tough because the material because the the brace of disc can flex like you're never right. going to get square mm. so I remember I, dad had one 
is a DeWalt and 14 inch or whatever, and they have a little bit thinner disc on them. And that thing, he was cutting like a four inch piece, which is too much for that saw. But by the time it was done cutting, it had moved outside of the slot that it's supposed to go down to for the pass through mm-hmm. and actually cut into the, the outer side of the, of the floor, like of the pan on the, on the, so I'm like, these things are terrible. That's yeah. why they shatter all the time. Well, I would much rather use, well, first choice would be the uh, bandsaw because those things are usually dead nut straight and not a pain to use. They usually have good clamps on them. They're usually they're like, they're just the tool for the job. After that, it would be actually for me, would be the cutoff wheel on a grinder. Mm. But I've used, I worked at one spot and that's all they used was five inch grinders with cutoff wheels. And they did everything with those. Yeah. They're handy as hell. I got to, you know, I got to give it to them as well. And I don't know. I've never really invested. Uh, in them, I, I think my two four and a half inch angle grinders are both from Harbor Freight, and I probably waited till like you could get them on special for I think nine ninety nine. I want to say, I mean, literally <laughs> nice. getting a machine that can do like a decent amount of work for ten dollars. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Uh, even if you smoke it, uh, eventually, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like you just go replace it, really, right? I mean. I yeah. buy the ten dollar ones from Harbor Freight when they're on sale because I use them when I'm carving alabaster. Yeah, and that smokes everything. Once that dust gets inside your machine, you're done. No kidding. So, mm. uh, I'm not gonna buy anything but the ten dollar ones for those. Yeah, but I've had. A... I've had one now for almost I don't know a while, and I've done a couple of alabaster things with it and. I would have thought it would have smoked by now, but for nine ninety nine, it's still kicking. Doing all right, yeah, yeah. My two are still kicking. I got one with a broken handle, and I think I don't think um, didn't they have to update? Didn't they update the switches on those? I think my two still have like a lock switch. Uh, I think all of them now, for safety reasons, have to have kind of like a little paddle switch. Um, but maybe oh, I'm wrong. Really? I don't. I could be wrong. They're older, so but they've lasted a, a while. I mean, I'm not doing production work by any means but you know how can you go wrong i spent what twenty dollars on two four and a half inch angle grinders i've had them for probably four years five years yeah at, at ten dollars it's worth buying just so you don't have to change tools right yeah you, you could have one for 40 grit 80 grit 120 <laughs> oh, you know? man. Like, I'm, I'm with you i i haven't done that yet but that's something i've talked about for my shop for a while is one that's just got uh like a cup wheel like all the different wheels on it, one with the cutoff, one with the actual grinding, one with the flat discs, <laughs> like the whole deal. Like, yeah, be nice to I, have a wall with about four or five on it. Yeah, I have five grinders now. I could start setting it up that way. <laughs> Do you have five, like different types, or not? You're not talking two by seventy-two. You got that the house-made two by seventy-two, right? Yeah, I just finished painting it actually. Cool. Yeah, I put that thing together. I didn't want to take it apart. <laughs> he says he's a woodworker but he's got all kinds of metalworking stuff i got uh-huh. all work. i actually have three two by 72s whoa yeah must but be I was nice about the rat tail graders. oh well, okay i say i have three i really have two working ones and then i have a third like chassis mm. um, but uh i just got those randomly the extra two 
Uh, but I did upgrade my house one with the Gen 5 tracking knob, which is pretty sweet. Sweet. So I'll put that together. It'll be done by the time this comes out. But mm-hmm. I just finished a painting it yesterday. So Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, talk about luxury. You could have different grits on each grinder just no, you know, not everyone even was like out. oh yeah then you can have one for each grit and just go down the line i think uh the better option is to have a different i mean you could change belts on two by 72 is pretty easy real quick is to have different attachments like a small wheel attachment a flat platen yeah and yeah. a big wheel maybe contact wheel whatever you guys call it <laughs> yeah you ain't lying that's definitely the i think the kick in the balls uh, with one machine, uh, I go from the flat platen to the rotary, uh, not rotary, sorry, the, the contact wheel. I think I have a 12 inch and then I have a small wheel holder. And sometimes it's like one of those will be the operation that I get done. And then I have to wait till the next time I'm into it to, to, to get, to get after it again. It's like, I don't even like switching between those three. It's kind of, yeah. I guess I'm lazy. Well, I mean, I, I do have a two by 72 for sale. <laughs> I'm gonna see on Saturday. The um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that would be the way to go because to change the belt is easy. But then when you put on a new attachment, then you have to adjust it. Yeah, you never remember where it is. You always say, "Oh, I'm gonna draw a line on that one before I remove it," and you never do, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, I you, think that, even if you do, you've got different. The belts can be stretched a little bit, and that can yeah. But at least on. it gets you in. The it gets you in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I like those uh, Scotch Bright belts. I mean, like you were saying, I think uh, that has uh, changed everything for me because um, I guess th- there's a certain grit you get to. I forget where it's at, but you start to get the bump of the uh, the tape on the back of the belt. Uh, sort of becomes an issue, so you get this like crazy vibration and a push uh, and pushes your work off of the the abrasive essentially right kind of causes a lot of chatter so i don't know i mean obviously if you need to get to a higher grit uh you'll probably need to figure that out i think they solve that problem with like the rotary platen or you know you put a little bit of a pad on the flat maybe like a leather or a felt or something but these days with the hatchets and the hammers it's easy to go to like 120 and then start to go on those scotch brake belts and then one two three four you're done like with this nice satin finish and you can even take it over to a buffer and shine it up to kind of a fake mirror polish so i don't know i've sort of like given up thinking about trying to get my 2 by 72 to work with higher grits that rotary platen isn't super cheap but it's kind of been in my cart maybe like 50 times uh, and i still <laughs> haven't pulled the trigger <laughs> I'm look up this rotary platen the, now. The rotary is the one with the like it's like three wheels with the rubber band that goes around them. That's okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get a little, uh, you can get a little give. I think there's like a slack area as well, so the rubber backs the the higher grits. Um, oh, okay. Kind of smooths things out. Oh yeah. Was that something that like? Um... I've heard of like, and I've never used them, so I, I don't, I might be speaking on a turn, but something like the J-Flex belts, would they be something that helps with that bump that you're talking about? 
No, you'll still get the tape. Well, yeah. Bump, okay. Chatter. Yeah. Um, if you're using it on a, on a Slack like area, um, you won't get it. But if you have it, if you're of, on a platen, or... yeah. bump. Yeah. Yeah. I've never noticed the tape bump. It doesn't really happen until you hit uh, like 180 or something like that. I got belts up to 2000, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah really? I... You, get, you don't get bumped? Well, maybe maybe wood is more forgiving. It's I don't know, but I'm, I'm still hitting it with, I guess G10 is pretty pretty tough. But yeah, you get the chatter with metal, G10, things like that. Yeah, I've noticed, and then they're just talking about it, like when I hit 220, like I, so I have like, of course 36 60 80 like 120 and then i go to from 120 to 220s what just what i have in in my shop and i do notice the the 220 i do notice the tape now that i think about it you guys may have just ruined this two by 72 for me now that's all i'm gonna hear is the chatter like i hear it but i never notice it in my work really yeah but i guess when i get that high i'm normally in a slack area okay you know yeah so that could be my issue i don't do what you guys like i don't need to put on like an edge on anything mm-hmm. i'm not making wooden shivs or anything like that so it's the worst you like you have this nice flat bevel that you're grinding and then you you get all that chatter you, <laughs> and you look at the surface and it looks like a diamond with like 50 different facets <laughs> you like oh. went from from one flat plane to like 50 different angles. It's like, what the heck? That'll ruin your day. It totally does. What do you do then? Just move on to hand sanding? Or do you go straight to the scotch Uh If you want to go up to the higher grits, yeah. I think the rotary plat will get you up, up, you know, towards some higher grits. But uh, yeah, I would just go right. In the past, I'd gone right over to hand sanding. So, you know, you can kind of even hand sand out a bunch of those facets as long as they're not too, too angular. Yeah. I just looked up this rotary platen. Hardcore has one. It's cheap. It's only twenty five hundred bucks. Whoa, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. decent. You could get probably three of those for that price. Yeah, yeah. It's a hardcore rotary cooled D two heat treated platen attachment. Holy cow, that's uh, that's impressive. That's you can get chassis for the entire chassis for that price. It's called the hardcore maximizer. The maximizer. It, well, I'm sorry, it's not 2500 For anyone who's going to come after me, it's 2475 <laughs> <laughs> Details, details. If anyone looks that up. That's U.S. <laughs> that's U.S., yeah. That's, that seems a bit aggressive to me. It's like yeah. $5,000 Canadian. I don't think. <laughs> a Maribraid, I want to say, is around 300 something dollars maybe. And even that, I kind of... <clears throat> Like I said, I've left it in my shopping cart a few times, but <laughs> I still want one. Seeing here at three fifty. Yeah, yeah, and they just they just made some improvements to that too. That's one cool thing about them is that, you know, they're they're always tweaking uh, even some of their uh, their standard designs. So I think they got a little more grinding clearance around some of the edges on their rotary platen. So I don't know, maybe it's time to get one. I've never seen one of these, nor do I know what it does, but now I know what I'm going to be looking at later when I'm off this call. <laughs> Yet another tool you may or may not need. I, I don't need it, and I, w- I won't be getting one. But <laughs> it's just, it's crazy to me the hardcore one is 2500 bucks. I mean, everything they do is expensive, but yeah, that's crazy. Crazy town. I guess I've never really taken a look at a Maribraid. 
You know, they make good stuff, but I've never actually spent time on their website. Is that what you're doing now during the call? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, just checking. I love the Ameribraid stand. Yeah. With the wheels. I think that's cool. Is it on wheels? I it's think they, wheels, right? you yeah. can get it with wheels, uh, but you can also get it, I think, just as a stand. Yeah. That is I pretty would like cool. To do, yeah, I would like to do that for mine. And I know I was just kind of dissing on disc grinders, but they have you seen their new disc grinder? <laughs> you should check that out. Yeah, where it goes on the side. They have like this quick release for for uh, for different attachments. So you can put like a drum attachment on it. You can put a buffing wheel. You can put the flat disc. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, I think I saw a reel of that on their Instagram page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, I'd have to see if I could finagle that on the, my uh, my housemade one though. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is a completely separate unit, right? You're talking about the oh, disc. Is it? Yeah, yeah, the disc grinder is a completely separate unit. It's very, like, simply, I think it's just the motor and some sort of mount, and you can, I believe you can even tilt it maybe vertical and horizontal. So it's a whole separate machine that they're selling now. Oh, let me check that out. <laughs> I got you guys both on the Ameribrade site. <laughs> <laughs> We're gear junkies, haven't you? Can't you tell? <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> oh, i was thinking of broadbeck has the one that goes on the front yeah 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 yep yeah they do have that okay yeah those so, are handy too yeah ameribraid calls it the hyper disc there you go yeah i it's basically just a motor with a vfd and a big disc on the front yeah 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 yeah, yeah but check out all the the uh, attachments and sort of like a quick release chuck or something like that it's kind of neat yeah, some sort of proprietary chuck. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are starting to to make those. I think there's a, a Canadian company that's making or has been making something like that. I can't remember the name of it now. I think it's Nex, Nexus, maybe? Huh. Nobody cares about your Canadian companies. We have Canadian listeners. I'm kidding. I got to take my shots when I can, Tony. There's probably my two daughters that listen every now and again. That's probably the only <laughs> Canadian listeners we have. No, we have Hatch. Oh, sorry, Hatch. Grant won't listen anymore because we're the Maker Camp podcast, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. What about Lawrence? Lawrence is up in Canada, right? Yeah, but he sponsors us. He doesn't listen to us. <laughs> nice. If he listened, he wouldn't sponsor us. <laughs> I'm kidding, Lawrence. We love you. Um, the um, but speaking of Hatch, did you see he started a new podcast? See, I listened. You listened. I listened to yours, and I listened to the his his favorite and his favorite guest. Yeah, he had me on as his first guest, which yeah. whoa, I think was a mistake. <laughs> but he he ultimately corrected that the following week. But he's got a. As we record this, he's got two episodes out. There's three episodes out. So oh, he has a third. Yeah, he's got a third. It's only like eight minutes long. It's pretty good though. But it's oh, on okay. uh, what's it called workshop therapy. Yes, and it's like mental health from the workshop and stuff. It's pretty good. Is that the name of the podcast? Workshop therapy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm very cool. Check that because I was on it and I I said the wrong thing like right after we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. I forget who was talking about that recently. Yeah. It works out there. You know, about it. Maybe it, maybe it is them and I don't know the names. Uh, but I don't know, you know, talking about how 
therapeutic it is, right, um, in general. And I guess kind of harken back to some of my time at art school where uh, I think in the art education tracks, um, there was art therapy. Like, so even even art therapy is kind of a, a I guess I, I'm not a professional in it at all, but it like has been around for quite a while, right? I think if even you think about like the prison systems or or, or like um, elderly homes, things like that, they're always right. using art, you know, to kind of get people to open up and yeah, anyway, just very therapeutic. So it's kind of interesting parallel here. We have our maker community and the, the therapeutic uh, aspects of making uh, alongside kind of this older idea of art therapy. Yeah, it's definitely a, a Zen place when you go out in the shop. Always. So, yeah. <laughs> you forget to have fun sometimes, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> yeah. There are times when I'm like, I don't know, not not necessarily with the shop projects, but like, you know, I, I remember specifically being under my truck trying to get like those step ups put on and like having a hard time and like really just being grumpy about it. And all of a sudden there was just some voice inside my head that was like, dude, you're supposed to be having fun. Like, don't don't forget to have fun. Like you ordered these things and you wanted them and like, you know, <laughs> you want them on your truck. Like, why are you acting like, you know, this is the end of the world? <laughs> like, like, don't forget to have a little bit of fun here. So I have to kind of constantly remind myself that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I used to, when I was younger, man, I was, I had a temper. I still have the temper. I just have it controlled better. But yeah, my worst blow ups were always when I was working on something. Like oh, just yeah. lose my mind. Like the swearing that would come out of me was just, yeah, not, yeah. not good. I've been told I, 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 I have a temper. <laughs> uh, I don't believe them, but that's what I, I think. No, it's I, a little closer to the surface than you realize, Keith. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I I have had my bouts of working on stuff like cars or something, and you just start freaking out. But right, I don't know. Maybe it's getting older or what. But now I just I go out there for me time, for the fun of it, right? Yeah. I try and I try and take a, a non-stress projects. I guess I don't yeah. like timetables. I don't like any of that. I like to just go out, do my thing, on my time. Forget about work. Yeah. Or life See, stress or whatever. So you're not taking orders either then? Commissions? I, I do, but it's it's got to be something I want to do. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a straight up no. And depending on my level of excitement is how fast you can get it from me. Yeah. So if I'm excited to do it, you're going to get it real fast because I just want to do it then, you know? If I, if I want to do it for a challenge, you may get it fast, you may not. And if I want to do it because it's somebody who asked that wanted it or something then i feel all right yeah okay <laughs> then you'll get it when i get to it you know <laughs> reminds me of some some saying i saw one time is this is a guy in shipping and receiving he had like tons of signs above his desk and the one that stood out to me the most is if you want it real bad you're going to get it real bad <laughs> <laughs> good one. I, like, I like that one pretty good one yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, there's certain things I like doing in the shop. So if somebody wants to pay me to do it, I'm going to do it, and it's going to be yeah. fast. But uh, that's the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Yeah. My thing is, people don't understand what my time is worth, especially my time in the shop. You know, I only get so many hours a year out there. So if I'm going to do it, 
you're going to yeah. pay for my time out there if it's going to take away from something I want to do. That's a good you perspective. Know? Yeah, because I don't know what it's worth either. It, it seems my time is worth an awful lot in the shop, but because I don't do it full time, you know, my immediate thought is like, I need to price this thing or understand how to price it. Uh, and, and, uh, and I really don't know how to kind of like make that formula up. But the only thing that I think about is what I get paid in my day job. And it's like, if I had to, if I had to physically work eight hours a day at blacksmithing, I wouldn't make probably a fraction of what I do in my day job. And so like working eight hours of that physical labor, like doesn't seem that appealing to me at that point. So I used to do it differently, but now if you ask me to do something in my shop, right, my factor has nothing to do with what I, I make at my job, right? Mm -hmm. My job's good. It's paying for my bills. I have a home. I, you know, I can pay for my car, all that stuff. So that's my time when I'm out in the shop, right? So you have to pay to buy my time back from me. So I don't I like care it. about the formula. It's the level of what you're asking me to make versus the level I want to make it mm. has got to be compensated. So if it's something I'm excited and wanted to try anyway, you're probably going to get a really good deal. If it's something I really don't want to do, I'm going to charge you. Yeah. You're probably going to be able to find it cheaper somewhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't care. I'd rather say no and get my time back Definitely. in my spare time because I only have so much spare time. Mm -hmm. I, I'm unapologetic about it. You know, I like I it. I call it the happy price. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done that before where it's like I'm not too into making it, but, you know, here's the price for it. And, you know, it's obnoxiously too expensive for them. So they just they just go away. The <laughs> other option is if you have a tool you want to buy. Yeah. I like that idea, too. Yeah. Then I'll, I mean, I could suffer through a, f a few hours to pay for a tool I want. You know, sometimes it's like part of the project is making you know jigs or getting like set up and like you can kind of even sometimes build right you, that that gets paid forward right if i if i build a jig for a certain project that was a commission now i have that kind of that jig or that template and necessarily i can kind of use reuse it so i do like that aspect of things too um mm, yeah. maybe try to think about that more in the future of like hmm, let me see how i can kind of build in getting a new tool to this project or you know or building up building up some tooling, I guess, is what I was also thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I found that was nice after the the course that I did at the New England School of Metalwork. Like, the tooling that I got out of that course, not that I've been out in the shop a lot lately, but I could really see how that was going to help me, like, just get more done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. That's, I mean, um, I took the hatchet forging class at the Maker Camp in March. Uh, was it March? Yeah, in March with uh, Cliff and John. And I just kind of like, not even sneakily, I just photograph all their tooling because it's like eventually, you know, I can kind of go back and reference things when I have my time and and start to build up my tooling. Um, and their tooling is like just oftentimes it's really simple, simple design um, and just really effective. So like I recently built uh, one of the tools that I observed at the, at the hatchet forging class is a little saddle die, really simple, um, uh, design, but it's going to be like, um, pretty critical to kind of the, the hatchets that I'm starting to make. It's like a missing component, I guess, probably. Oh, that was the adjustable. 
die that you made yeah okay i saw that 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 was pretty cool um yeah i i i agree with you like anytime i'm like when the um modern forge guys are doing their thing like i always stop take take notice because yeah cliff is pretty amazing with the stuff he comes up with yeah their tooling is pretty awesome so did you ever see that one uh when he does the face like it's not something that i want to do or but the the not the die but like the work rest he's got built to so he can work on a like making that face on a piece like in the in the uh in the vice that was a pretty cool piece yeah yeah that has kind of a totem head almost like um yes yeah that, that easter so. island-esque i guess but uh yeah yeah right in the right in the post vice with a few different uh setups I, mostly angle iron right it was like yeah it was angle. it was dead simple but worked yep yeah there's a couple tools like that there's a t- turning wrench like a blacksmith's turning wrench that you can kind of build and uh, a lot of it is similar to how i was isolating the material for the um for the integral guard on the ha- on the machete yeah so that's something they taught us at the new england school of metalwork so i oh, yeah. I, I built the turning wrench in that style nice of like first turning that corner over on the end and then having that piece um isolated and then working that down over the uh over the vice that that was that was actually fun i actually found that project quite fun pretty eye-opening huh like all of a sudden you're just like whoa i can make a wrench like even yeah yeah. (laughs) well and and then being able to move that metal like it it was flat bar and now you've got a you've made a two-pronged wrench out of like a full bending wrench out of it so it's it's uh yeah it's quite a it just shows you how much you can change the cross section and still have something that's very strong in the end i actually i gotta finish that out i gotta I want to draw the the. I got the the head of it done, or the yep. jaws, but now I want to get it set up so that it's got a little bit longer handle and then like a um, a loop on it so I can hang it like up above my vice. So I got like just reach up, grab it, use it, put it back, kind of thing. Awesome, yeah, that's a handy tool, like especially when you're turning scrolls, which is I know Tony, that's your favorite thing to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm learning. <laughs> We say we thank those patrons, Tony. All right. Let's go through the list here. So we have uh, Corey of Odyssey CNC, Christy of Twisted Twine, Annette of 513 Woodworks, Polstein Designs by Chris Powell, Lily Nurture Photography, David Beckwith Makes, NB Woodfinery. Our top tier, we have Eastbroke Studios, Danelle Smith Christian, Brian Drennan, Lawrence of MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, Ed Johns of ButtJoints.com, Adam of Uncle Sam Metalworks, Vincent Ferrari of Digitally Creative, Brian Housewart of Workfort Podcast, Artigino Sorio, Matt of Wooden Mustache, Brad of Brad's Customs, David and Joanna at Wido Works, Chad of Chad's Custom Creations, Ryan of No Hammer Forge, David of DW Wood Builds, Matt of First Do Construction, and Tony of Kodamo Design. Thank you all. Really do appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you all fantastic um if you don't already know the gnome hammer experiment should still be going so uh you could check that out and win something from him we're recording early so i don't know what the august item is yet but uh you become a patron here a patron there or buy a ticket you can win something cool 
But yeah. So you were talking about hatchets. Now I remember. So you made a couple axes out of silk and bronze. Did you not? I remember those from camp last year. Yeah. Yeah. Were those they, were they commissioned piece. I can't. We we talked about them, but I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. They were a commission. Kind of hitting on what Keith was just saying. Sort of like hit that sweet spot of uh, of someone asking you to do something that's like right up your alley, you know, you, I got to do a bunch of research, uh, you know, the ax wasn't even really like the request. It was, um, I forget. So uh, I guess to back up, it's, um, was a, com- a commission for like a, a commemorative, uh, one year anniversary, I guess, gift for, uh, co-owners of, uh, of a clothing brand that they started. So Kabuto brand, uh, clothing um was started by a, a couple friends of mine tattoo artist um that's done most of my tattoos and um his co-owner uh, started a kind of a clothing brand company and so to celebrate the one year anniversary uh the one the one guy as a surprise commissioned two pieces to be uh done by me for each of them right um mm-hmm. and at first i think he asked me for like t- tantos or something like that um and i hadn't really done much um forging of of longer blades as i was just talking about earlier <laughs> so um i started doing a little research and it, and it kind of hit a sweet spot because um i got into kind of really old uh japanese ukiyo-e like woodblock prints and started like digging up images of like these giant gods and they were holding these giant axes and started seeing a lot of imagery of these like kind of just mostly ceremonial, like battle axes. Um, they were like huge heads on uh, giant poles, almost like sledgehammer poles. Um, and so I kind of talked him into that. Uh, <laughs> so um, I talked him into it and I talked him into using the silicon bronze that I had picked up from Coal Ironworks. Um, I think it was at the second maker camp or the, the one after COVID at least maybe. Um, yeah, the so 121 had- uh coal iron yeah. yeah they were there first when they were there so they had a couple of chunks of uh of that silicon bronze and that's all she wrote i kind of kind of did a couple of quick sketches and really uh, modeled them after these uh, giant heads so i th- want to say that's a six pound chunk of steel um to begin with and of course forging and grinding down so it's probably in between five and six pounds um and then i put them on sledgehammer poles and took one to maker camp with me because I knew that I was going to have some fun with Mark Adams pictures in there. So I have a couple yeah. of cool, cool samurai shots and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, gifted them to them and, uh, they, they really loved them. So wall hangers really, but, uh, but they're pretty. Is that your fiber laser? No, that's Derek from Malden actually. Yeah. He, uh, he came, came up huge with that assist. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I remember talking about them with you. Was it camp? Was it last year? Or the year? No, it was last year. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, those are pretty sweet. That was impressive. Thanks. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Like, again, you know, being able to kind of do the research, have, you know, the concept not really well defined, come up with a concept, you know, have the, the person uh, buy into it. And then I was able to pull off. I was happy with what I pulled off, I think. Um, and being able to kind of work with the silicon bronze or actually it's aluminum bronze now that I'm thinking about it. 
okay. you know, working with that material is the first time I'd ever really worked with it. So being able to have that opportunity is huge and, uh, it's fun. It's fun to do. Was that, that fairly difficult to work with or is it pretty forgiving? Um, it's got, um, like you can't overheat it. Uh, it'll melt or right before it melts, you'll get into kind of a little bit of a crumbly stage similar to bronze itself. Um, and I guess copper, I, I think copper really doesn't, um, like turn kind of, uh, like brittle or powdery, but it will melt at the higher temperature. So you just have to work it at like a, a lower temperature. Um, okay. but it's pretty tough stuff. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's squishier than steel, but it's tough. Um, and it grinds a little weird, but, but yeah, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't harden and hold like an edge, like steel, like high carbon steel does. So like you would. Yeah. It's, it, it's more like, that's more of something you'd use like for bushings and, right. and that, that sort of thing. So yeah, it'd be abrasion resistant, but. I think that's what they use it for there. That's why they have them is because they cut slices off and use them for their ways or guides or something like that on the machines. But I think, yeah, they, they do. Just... They do have uh, uh, bronze guides. Yeah. So yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, um, yeah, it was just something that I remember talking to you about them. I kind of want to talk about them again. So yeah, they were pretty fun. They were, they were big. And I think don't remember, I might've got help with a little bit, of one of them, but those are some heavy pieces of, uh, that was, that was a heavy chunk of, uh, metal and, you know, and to kind of space out the work on that. <laughs> so when, in your shop, like I'm, you've got a press and a small hammer, right? Yeah. I have a 12 ton coal ironworks and I have a 50 pound little giant. Oh, nice. You're living in luxury over there. I'm, I'm getting the itch to go, to go to the, uh, power hammer route. I'm, no more Thank press. You. I don't know, man. I'm a gear junkie. It's gonna it's gonna move around <laughs> until I actually get something, but and then it'll continue to move around. Yeah, it'll it'll continue to move until I have both. And then I'll whatever. I'll have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh you know, you talk about like the limitations of one, you know, or the luxuries of having these machines, but then the limitations of like having to change the dies. And it's like, so it's sort of like, you know, on the 50 pound little giant, I have combo dies, but it's like, I'd love to have a hammer that has just large flat dies, you know? And so then I'm trying to like think, man, now I need two hammers or, you know, I can't run my power hammer and my induction forge at the same time. Cause I only have one two twenty plug at the moment. And so now I need to like get another plug so I can, <laughs> but it's just kind of configuring all those machines uh, to work for you. I haven't really figured it out just yet. <laughs> mm. oh, that's that's part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Little Giant. That that fell into my lap a little bit. I I think like gear junkies, like you said, I I was it was rolling around towards the time of year that it was my birthday, and I was like, well, the the coal iron. 12 ton had sort of just come out and I was like, that's going to be, you know, my gift to myself this year. Um, it's an amazing like piece of kit, right? The footprint of it is tiny. It doesn't take up a lot of space. Good for small shops. You won't, um, annoy your neighbors, you know, pounding out, uh, pounding things out on a big power hammer. Um, so I ordered it and, uh, I think it was off their first run and, 
want to say just before maker camp I happen to be on craigslist and i see a blacksmith shop like sale items and i forget how it, like the keyword thing hit but his first initial pictures didn't have any power hammer in it um and so it was just listed in the text and so i just happened to email him i was like totally interested in this um here's my email my phone number and like and everything else i could possibly give him for a contact like so he calls me back uh he says um that i can come take a look at it he's not too far away here in massachusetts he's like a part of actually a a member of the new england blacksmiths um, he's an old timer kind of you know reducing his shop down he wants to sell the the power hammer so i'm like i am leaving for the weekend i'm going to maker camp this is the for our very first maker camp and so i'm thinking this is it he's going to tell me to go fly a kite i'm sure there's many people in line um, and i'm going to be away and and he'll be able to just sell this while i'm gone so i was like you know do you want me to put a deposit down? You know, I haven't seen it yet or anything. He's like, no, no, don't worry about it. Just, you know, do, do what you want, you know, do your thing. And then uh, when you get back in town to come, come, come see it. So sure enough, I'm thinking it's not, not going to be there or anything like that. And uh, I get back from maker camp, set up uh, a time to go see him. And uh, he's asking, his asking price is probably about a third of what it was worth. I want to say, uh, even <laughs> at the time, like, never mind that it was, pretty much in working condition. Uh, and it's a young machine. It was, uh, I think in the end, I found out it was made in 1959. So it's a, a new style, uh, had a two horsepower motor on it. Um, it didn't have the sort of original dies, but he had a handful of kind of interesting stuff with it. Um, so I ordered the combo dies from Little Giant and a new spring and that was really all it took to kind of get it up and running so kind of fell into my lap and uh i'm glad i really like it it's, it's nothing quite like one of those mechanical power hammers really yeah yeah that's definitely definitely on my list if i could ever find one there was a this is way too way beyond my needs but there was a 200 pound here uh fairly local to me Holy moly. Yeah, 200 pound little giant, which was it 200 or 250? I forget the, the, the 250, I think sounds right. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's 100 and 250. Um, but anyways, it was, man, it, it was in good shape too. Like, and the price, I, I don't even know, I don't even know if it was a good price or not, but it seemed like it wasn't too bad. But I knew something like that, like its footprint would be my shop. Like, that's, <laughs> So I, I, yeah, it was not something I went for, but hopefully somebody picked it up and is using it now. But That thing's a monster. Uh, even just in videos, seeing it move, you can just feel how big it is and it just seems scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I got my first experience with power hammers at um, um, doing a school metalwork. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something. Um, they had a one of the big blue 150s or 155 i think it's called that thing worked pretty well like it's just a it's a pretty simple machine with the with the pneumatics like it's mm -hmm. basic you could run it off of i think you need a fair size compressor to run it but it's it's not it's not one of the contained ones that's always chugging along and making all that noise right. it's just you just tap it and it fires so it's it's pretty pretty good and then they yep. had a another one that i 
I don't remember the name of it, but it was a self-contained, like she chugged along and it was, I want to say it was in the 50 pound range, maybe 60 pound range. I think it might've been a, uh, a European hammer. So it was in, in kilos. Mm. Which I should know what kilos convert to, but I don't that well. Um, but it worked really well too. It was, yeah, it kind of showed me the differences between the two. Like I've run yeah. presses a little bit and they both have their spot. Like the, there's definitely a spot for both, but yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Th- those air hammers, I think the, the biggest um, difference I see between those and say the mechanicals or the little giant is the throat clearance, right? It's like, I, I yeah. run into that throat clearance limit on the little giant, like right away, you know, it's sort of, uh, it's one of its biggest limitations in a lot of ways, but, and then, yeah, with those air hammers, you get that large throat clearance. You can kind of get even a nice powerful hit on something that's pretty big or tall. Yeah. I, I guess I never thought of that, but yeah, you're, you're right. And it'll, th- and you can throw a short hit too. Like even if yeah. you've got just a few, like a half inch th- hit, you can still do it. So, yeah, that's right. So that's it. We need a power hammer, an air hammer, and a mechanical hammer in your shop, and mm. a press. Damn it. <laughs> Why are you enabling me? <laughs> Just a list. I had a, I was at a, a New England blacksmiths meet um, ages ago now, and there was this old timer that I was like talking to and, and getting friendly with, and <clears throat> he was talking about how expensive the hobby was, and he goes, "I would have been better off picking up a crack habit." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the old timers. Yeah. <laughs> retired. It's wrong. Yeah. Spending all his retirement money. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely not a cheap, cheap hobby. No hobby is cheap. Yeah. Well, yeah. Every time I pick up a forging hammer, it's, it's another few hundred dollars. So well, if that's cheap. the case, I got lots for sale, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> My garage has like 50 forging hammers. I'll sell them all to you. Yeah, if they have a claw on the back, they're not a forging hammer. I know what a forging hammer is. <laughs> if you want claw hammers, I got about fifty of those too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got the you got the nice option of being like you guys down in the like the New England states, and it just seems like you have so much more. Well, there's, there's a ton more people. That's a big part of it. But there just seems to be so much more stuff like that that's out there and available like that power hammer that i saw like the little giant that i saw like i think i've seen one other hammer in the time in the time i've been doing any smithing work that that i found for sale even close to me and the other one that i found was like uh i want to say it was similar to like a chambersburg type idea Mm -hmm. and it was basically the body nothing else it was like it's not i mean it's worth something to someone it's not worth anything to me because <laughs> i am not taking on a project like that that's just not uh, yeah it wouldn't be worth it to me to to devote that much time to it checks out <laughs> but. well when you only got so much time right like I guess, like you were saying, Keith, it's like, do you really want to be in your shop, like fixing up a machine to then be able to use it? Or do you want to be in the shop, like making a thing with a machine already, you know, like, or. Depends on the day for me. Yeah. But I don't want an old, an old tool that's just parts that 
<laughs> you don't have all the like it's one thing if it's all the parts and one's broken okay do i make that part do i search for that part yeah that's one thing but when you just have the frame and you got to find all the parts yeah nobody wants that not a fun project yeah i mean like i've said before like building out my shop was probably one of my my like the tops on my list as far as the projects to deal with smithing was just building building out the shop doing that that was you know that took a lot of pride in 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 doing that but now it's like okay now it's time to actually get to work in there but i do i do enjoy that like that build out part was i probably have more pictures of doing the build out than i do of me actually forging well you got to get out there and forge Tony. yeah 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 it's coming it's happening can't be that hot up in canada right uh yeah it's not hot in comparison to you guys but it's still yeah but that's hot for us i think hot is relative right so like if it's 80 by you that would be where we would start to complain at like 95 right Mm -hmm. like relative to what you're used to and and somebody in florida is gonna be like oh 80 degrees who cares like that's a nice cool day you know yeah if i if i was in you know like florida where it was 80 degrees all the time i'd probably be all right at 95 to 100 because it's not that big of a change well it's still 95 to 100 still damn hot but i mean i go from like a negative you know 30 to you know we hit we'll hit like 90 to 95 sometimes with 100 percent humidity and it's just like just just shoot me like i'm trying to do yard work here in the last little bit so i got a tandem load of topsoil out front i got the neighbor kid to come over and help me and we worked for two afternoons like for an hour about three hours total and i drank about a gallon of water while we were doing it he drank never peed right (laughs) no not at all just 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 pure sweat so it's yeah for me like that's just i don't know it's just if I walk hot. outside and I start sweating instantly, that's when I know it's too hot. <laughs> so it's been too hot like all week. It's not gonna. You got a climate control shop at all or no? Me no. Yeah. But it has no windows or anything, so it's kind of as long as I don't open. Like if I open the door, then it's just hot in there. You know? Yeah. And the humidity comes in. But if I keep it closed off and I just go out there and work, the problem is is I share it with like the lawnmower and yard stuff. So depending on what I'm doing, I got to move that stuff out. So then I have to open up the door Mm. and then I lose that somewhat cool from the night. Like first thing in the morning, you open it up on a Saturday and you're like, well, that's done. I might as well just leave it open at this point. (laughs) But at night is when I go out there most of the time, even on the weekends, I'll go out at night. So then it's not so bad. Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah, I'm always, I do, I did throw like a, a window air conditioner in. So that it does take the, when I first got here, it wasn't insulated. So I insulated it. And now that I got the air conditioner in there, it definitely makes a huge difference in the summer. But like, if I have to grind, you know, I immediately want to open up and get, you know, good ventilation and airflow. I am Mm -hmm. wearing a respirator, but at the same time, I don't want the entire shop to just get dusty up you know so i don't know you open the door you immediately get all the humidity coming in and you're at the grinder with all the pp and the it's just it's just you know 
I don't have it. It's not perfect. <laughs> Do you so, wear an apron too? If I'm grinding metal for the most part, yeah, I want to, I yeah. want to be wearing a leather apron for sure. I've even like worn like a welding hood or a, a jacket. No, like a, like a leather cap or uh, just even just a, a cap oh, to just, keep all just the dust beat, out of my like top of my head. Yeah. 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 I don't have to worry about that. For some reason, it, I never get much <laughs> stuck in my hair. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I hate that. I made the mistake of trying to grind on that aluminum bronze for like two seconds without like proper gear. And it threw these giant metal shards like up over my head into like the back of my neck. And it was like the worst mistake I've ever made. So it's like never want to feel itchy like that again. Um, so I'm always kind of gearing up and yeah, yeah it's hot and humid. It sucks. I, I can deal with discomfort right. for like 20 minutes while I'm doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Imagine having metal shavings down your back while you're trying to grind at the, at the two by 72. I'll give you a funny story about metal shavings while grinding in the after show. <laughs> oh God. All right. It's a good one. We'll leave it for that. Any final words before we head on over to the after show? Tony, Jason. Uh, maybe, maybe just, uh, I wish I had the dates. Um, uh, but in September, the new England blacksmiths will be having their fall meet. Um, uh, it'll be at the just newly renamed Gilbert teaching center in Brentwood, New Hampshire. Um, I want to say it's sort of the middle of September, uh, ish. I don't really have the dates just yet, but, uh, if you're in the area and you're interested at all, um, we're going to be meeting up in Brentwood, New Hampshire. What is that? Is that like a hammering? Yeah. So the New England blacksmiths are uh, a local affiliate uh, group um, for New England, and they're an affiliate of the National um, um, Organization, which is the BANA, Artist Blacksmiths Association in North America. Um, and so New England blacksmiths meet up tw- uh, two, two times a year, spring and fall. Um, we just had our spring meetup, which was kind of late ish. Um, but, uh, but had a good time. Typically you have a, a demonstrator come in, a feature demonstrator will demonstrate throughout the weekend. Um, there's a iron in the hat where people bring items to donate, uh, and you can buy raffle items and you can kind of uh, go home with lots of different types of things. Typically blacksmithing equipment. <laughs> um, what else? Yeah. Good fun stuff. A lot of camaraderie. Um, there's a green coal area. So, you know, people can kind of, um, learn how to Smith with some instruction. Um, and, um, tailgating is another thing. So you can get, uh, equipment cheap or you can sell if you're interested in selling and food and cake, blacksmith sea cake. <laughs> yeah. Let us know, uh, when you get the dates on that too, we'll yeah. make sure we put it out there. Awesome. I just tried looking it up as you were talking, but if you get us the dates, we'll, we'll mention it again uh, as it gets closer. Awesome. Yeah, we'll do. But if you want to find Jason, you can find him at Dark State Forge, all one word on Instagram. You on TikTok too? No, not no. at all. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Dark State Forge, right? Dark State Forge, right? Yeah, Dark State Forge, yep. He is a, a fantastic follow. Give him a follow if you want to find Tony. He's at Woodland Iron. I am at Blackthorn Concepts. Both of us can be found at Working Hands Podcast. As always, please share the show with all of your friends again, because I know you guys have all been loyal and do it every week, but do it again this week. Hmm. We'd appreciate it. Five stars is always appreciated. 
We are going to go give our patrons some more content in the after show. If you want to do that, you know how to find us in the search bar of patreon.com working hands podcast. And, uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks guys. Appreciate having me on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being on later. Calm working hands podcast. And, uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks guys. Appreciate having me on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being on later.